What's up, NBA fans? Uh, it is Wednesday today, September 16th, one day after what could be in the you know 20 years that I've been watching NBA basketball as a kid. One of the biggest meltdowns I have ever seen, and it's not even a meltdown in the aspect of one game. This Game 7 certainly had a meltdown within it, but just as a series as a whole, I have never seen anything like this. I think the whole NBA community is in shock. I think every NBA podcast is obviously covering this. Every NBA show and writer is trying to explain what exactly just happened. But nonetheless, it's here. Uh, the Clippers have lost Game 7 against the Nuggets, 104-89. to The Nuggets become the first team in NBA history to come back from a 3-1 deficit in consecutive rounds within the same playoffs astonishing feat especially considering against a very loaded Clippers team and Sean I know you have a lot of fire to unload here um, but just to lay the, the the framework here is on this podcast we'll cover the Clippers meltdown we'll talk a little bit about Miami Heat and obviously preview quickly of the Nuggets uh, versus the LA Lakers in the Western Conference Finals uh, and we tried our best here to really organize everything that happened in this series because I feel like we could easily just unload. Uh, but we tried our best here. And the real beginning of it is the intangibles of what happened, the tangibles, the basketball things from a Clippers perspective. And then ultimately, you know, what did the Nuggets do right to make this happen? But Sean, you know, I, I'm going to give you the floor. You are the Clipper fan here. This podcast started with me being a Laker fan, you being the Clipper fan. And it really seemed like within the first years, you know, of our friendship and this podcast that it was going to be us talking about the Clippers in the playoffs. And then all of a sudden, this offseason made it and the last two years made it that like, OK, the Clippers versus Laker thing is actually going to happen sooner than we thought. And we were this we were literally 48 minutes away from it happening and it didn't happen. And Sean, I'll give you the floor now to really, you know, start this off as what happened to the Clippers. Oh man. Uh, it's gonna it's gonna hurt to talk about this. I'm not gonna lie, but <laughs> you know, if 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 this was something that was happening right after game six, I'd have to say that game six was probably my lowest moment as an NBA fan, as a Clipper fan, watching a game. The way I acted during that game was was inexcusable. Uh, luckily, no one was home except for my pets. But even they would attest that I was I was just all out of sorts during that game. I was livid. I was yelling. I was screaming. I was throwing things. And you know what? I think that that was a healthy step for me. Because when Game <laughs> 7 came around, much like the Clippers, I was reserved to the fact that, you know what? We might lose this series. And if that happens... I'm not going to throw a fit about it again. <laughs> we are the superior team. We have the most talented players in the series. Our coaching staff is very highly praised. Uh, have multiple head coaching potential candidates, including Tyron Lue, Sam Cassell on that staff. You've just seen champion, champ, coach champ, of the year. Yeah, champion and Doc Rivers uh, has coached through many, many playoff series, although... Uh, champion and Tyron Lue. Yeah, champion and Tyron Lue. Although a lot of people argue that Doc Rivers is also the choke master. Hashtag <laughs> the the 3-1 bum, <laughs> according to, yeah. to, to certain people, um, Josh Smith, namely. But, you know, I came into this game, I was like, you know what? I still think the Clippers have 
a very high chance of winning because you know what we we've seen them take it take us to the cleaners twice now basically the same exact game script two games in a row where we have a huge lead going into midway through the third quarter and they just turn on the afterburners and we don't have a response so you have the game tape to look at you have an idea of what they're going to do and you respond with absolutely nothing beyond nothing even you regress from what you were doing in game fives and six at least you were scoring at least Kawhi Leonard looked like the superstar that he is and they were just completely deflated as was I I feel like Clipper Nation as a whole was so deflated from what was transpiring before our very eyes we all bought into the illusion that this was our year we all bought in this was going to break the Clipper curse. Kawhi Leonard was enough to break the Clipper curse. Paul George was enough. Didn't matter that he just came off of a really embarrassing OKC series loss to the Blazers in the first round last year. It didn't matter about playoff P. We had Kawhi. We had Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell. We had the deepest bench in the league. None of that matters anymore. It, it, this is depressing, honestly. I, I I put it on silent midway through the fourth quarter. I couldn't even I couldn't even focus on it. I turn I I I've got two TVs. I turned my other one on and started playing like a game on that one so I could divert the attention away from what was happening. Escape your thoughts. Yeah, I had to escape. I I just had to <laughs> pretend like this was nothing. It was just a normal regular season game that didn't matter and that basketball season was just over after this. <laughs> I slept on it. In some ways, it was. <laughs> this is this. Yeah, I don't want to <laughs> ramble on about how miserable Clippers fans should feel this morning. But I woke up and I felt okay. But I can't speak that for many Clipper fans out there who buy into the Lakers Clippers rivalry as if it's a rivalry because it's not. <laughs> Clippers fans, wake up. Let's be real. We don't even deserve that rivalry because we can't even get to the game. LeBron James is waiting for us for four days. For four days, he waited for us. And we don't even give him a response. We ghosted him in the messages. Yeah. Couldn't make it to the parking couldn't, lot. Couldn't even drive there. <laughs> couldn't even make it. Couldn't even meet up with him. The, Didn't fill up the car with enough gas uh, to make the trip. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're prepared. We never made a conference finals. We don't know what it takes. I thought we did. We we've never been this close ever. Could you say that that's a victory? Heck no. That is there's no yeah. victory in this season at all. Paul George, we always felt this was not a championship or bust year for us. Are you kidding is- me? <laughs> Are you kidding me? What a cop out. What an absolute cop-out from a guy that just almost single-handedly ruined this series for us. Playoff P. 4 of 16. With a three-pointer that went off the side of the backboard. (laughs) What are you... You said you were struggling with depression. I get that. You came out of it. Maybe you sunk back into it. I don't know. I don't want to get into your psyche. You had family members in the bubble. 
I just I'm at a loss for words. I'm at a loss for words. Yeah. What I like what your mentality is going into this game. Instagram, LA Clippers Instagram, locked and loaded. <laughs> no, you're not. Are you serious? <laughs> they're going they're going into that game thinking of how they're gonna get home. Yeah. Now we now now we can break it down. That that's all that's yeah. all I have to say. That's a great monologue, Sean. <laughs> I, I I love your thoughts. I think en- enough said there, I think. But I think the the biggest touch point here to transition into, I think, when we're talking about the intangibles is the competitive spirit. Where the where in where in the hell was that? Like for an NBA team, a set of professional players. <laughs> I mean, we don't need to break down the laundry list Mm-mm. of quotes that we've seen from Paul George about being competitive, about fueling off the haters and, you know, coming back from the tough and all this stuff, right? Like after he lost that Blazer series and then some of the things that were transpiring against him in that in that game against the Blazers again earlier in the bubble. I think this quote just summarizes it right there. Just a slap in the face is this press conference quote that you alluded to earlier Internally, we've always felt this is not a championship or bus year for us. You know, we can only get better the longer we stay together and the more we're around each other. More chemistry for the group, the better. Well, the second part, <laughs> yes, it's true. The first part is you've got to be kidding me. I mean, me and you, Sean, we were at that Clipper home opener. The cheerleaders, the dancers, the fireworks, the... The Steve Ballmer <laughs> antics, like the big shelling out of the contracts to coaches, the the number of draft picks traded for this for the for this man that this quote is coming out of. <laughs> like I mean, flexing your muscle is like an understatement for what the Clippers went and did this offseason, I think, and you know, what the media as well did for this team. And I mean there this guy these guys had the entire year to kind of push back and they they never did and i don't blame them for it like pound pound for pound this is a hell of a talented team and they knew it and they were willing to accept that and they were willing to you know take it to the highest degree to flex their muscles that they were that so championship or bust of course it was a championship or bust year i mean literally nobody would is no literally nobody ever mentioned that this was going to be a learning experience for this team that they it, it was all about going all in and taking over LA and whatnot like and for it to come out of this Paul George's mouth the guy who wants to be a top 20 top 10 player in this league oh shaking my head shaking my head he had the audacity to say we've always felt this is not a championship or bust year for us we are you speaking on behalf of the entire team when you say we didn't want to win a championship this year? We didn't think we needed to win a championship this year? I mean, let's not even think about championship, let alone making the conference finals or the NBA finals. You don't think it was that or bust for you this year? Because in my mind it was. This year was a monumental disappointment. If you're a Clipper fan, if you're a Clipper staff member, if you're a Clipper player, you have to own up to that. This was a yeah. disappointment. And for him to go 4-16 and in that game and then come out with this quote, 
are you serious? Because of chemistry? Because of chemistry. You're a seasoned NBA veteran in this league, and you can't figure out chemistry? You think LeBron James needs to figure out chemistry in this league? No one on that team was there last year. I mean, there was a good few pieces. Yeah, like KCP, Kuzma. <laughs> or what? Rondo, kind of? You brought in... You bring in Anthony Davis... <laughs> Freaking J.R. Smith. You bring in Markeith Morris. You bring in these guys. Danny Green. You bring in Danny Green. Brand new coaching system. You can't even compare yourself to the Lakers at this point. If you think chemistry is what's holding you back, you can't get over that. That's a leadership issue. And Paul George, I'm sorry, that is not a good leader right there. And it's honestly too bad because... Kawhi is not going to step up and be that verbal leader. And if you're going to sulk in the corner like this, that is embarrassing. You have to be that verbal leader in the locker room if Kawhi is not. He leads by example. You have to lead with your voice and your attitude. And that is a terrible attitude to have, especially after just getting your ass handed to you like you did. Yeah. And again, I think there's, there is some half truth to that second half of that quote but you know we can pick and choose a bunch of teams Miami Heat right now completely different player and Jimmy Butler completely taking over that offense and he's got this team in the conference finals and getting better every single game it mm-hmm. seems to go by yeah you got the Lakers of course we got that example and we got the Boston Big Three who won that championship the first year they were all together um the Miami Heat it took them two years but they got at least they got to the yeah, finals they made the finals their know. first year <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And this team was up 3-1. The meltdown, I mean, losing by 20, completely getting outscored the way you did in the fourth quarter, you cannot hang your hat onto chemistry issues. And this was almost a lengthened season itself as well. I mean, we had that all that off time and they weren't together, but I mean, it's it's still got to count for something. Um, so I I can I cannot dig this quote at all. Ugh. Disgusting. And, and the second intangible here, I think, you know, lack of competitive spirit. Obviously, there's the arrogance aspect of it that we've we've seen from a couple of players, including, you know, Paul George and Patrick Beverly, the the post, the back and forth with other NBA players. And it just seems like the Clippers at times may not have been the most liked team within <laughs> between other teams. But then I think the other one. Is is and if playing again, I think to the point of no competitive spirit, just like the death of it is this Doc Rivers quote here. I thought conditioning we kept having to take guys out because they were tired. We're in the playoffs and you had to do it. Guys were asking to come out, but that's not typical for game seven. Conditioning <sighs> taking guys out because they were tired. I don't even know where to start with this. I mean, the fact that this came out of his mouth, I think, is astonishing. <laughs> I mean, what is Doc Rivers thinking saying this? Like, this is just how bad the spirit must have been broken. Like, he this quote is going to follow him and this team for forever, potentially. Mm-hmm. Like, we'll see how this how they respond next year, and that might have you know fixed this for a bit. But this quote, like, you don't hear people say this. You right? you you admit the fee for basketball reasons. You admit. You know, certain players beating you, adjustments did, that didn't weren't made, but to blame it on being tired, yeah, conditioning—that is embarrassing. And it's like 
Can you really point to that when you had Kawhi play over 40 minutes this game, Paul George play 38? He is even in foul trouble and he played 38 minutes. These are your best two guys in the game most of the time. And you're, you're, yeah, your excuse is that the team is tired. Like, I get Montrez Harrell and Lou Williams came into the bubble late. One, for good reasons. The other, not so much. But <laughs> you still, like, have to be able to play, especially off the bench, too. Like, you have Lou Williams only played 25 minutes this game. Montrez Harrell, something pretty similar. And these are guys that you're used to seeing play a majority of the game. That's what wins Lou Williams, Montrez Harrell, the sixth man of the year, is that they play starter minutes. And when you're giving these minutes to guys like Marcus Morris, who I'm sorry, I do not want this guy back next year. Please, Clippers, do not resign this guy. Least amount of hustle I've ever seen out of a player. No discipline at all. Like, we're not going to win these games because this is not the game we've played all season. Marcus Morris was never that impactful of a player for us, and, and that is really what we went to in the playoffs a lot, and I was not a fan of it. And we saw so many weaknesses in the Clippers game, not just in this series, but in, in, in the Dallas series too, uh, where, where they easily could have beaten us if Porzingis was playing, I think. Mm-hmm. And yeah, tired is not, that is not even an intangible. That, that, I think that still goes back to the lack of a competitive spirit. Why would guys yeah. want to come out of a game seven? You want to fight for your team? Do you not? It seems to me like they yeah. don't. And yeah, when you look at the box score, the minute spread was just all over the place. Reggie Jackson getting minutes, <laughs> uh, Marcus Moore, like Jamichael Green getting more minutes, I think, than I typically see him out there for, especially Lake. Like Doc Rivers was either he was panicking and just could not figure it out, or maybe this, this was a factor, but he was just throwing guys out there, putting guys, you know, bringing guys back. Like he could just not figure out what was going on with the Nuggets. Or guys were just not really willing to fight out there. And that and that's just like the most surprising thing. And it was so evident. Like it didn't take you being an actual basketball nerd, you know, knowing the X's and O's to see just how bad the spirit was broken. I mean, I think Sean, me and you just talked about the perfect word is like looking like a deer in the headlights, <laughs> sort of just frozen and not knowing exact not knowing what to do next right like mm-hmm. you're just letting the danger train come right at you yeah and we saw that i saw that in the eyes of doc rivers in the third quarter I saw that in the eyes of paul george i saw that in the eyes of lou williams and by then it just looked like it was a scary sight and things were over for them and now try you know moving on to the actual tangible things of what happened in this game you give up double digit leads in games 5 and 6 in Game Seven, uh, you were about to have a double-digit lead, but Jamal Murray just went on a frenzy for the Denver Nuggets to close the third quarter. But you're going still into the third, you know, in control of the game. It looked like you were in control of the pace, and then something just changed. You have back-to-back threes from Jaron Grant. So, I mean, lucky baskets. <laughs> yes, you could say that. And you get that mid-ranger from Joe Kick. And you get a big three from Paul Millsap, and then from that moment. Something just happened to that Clippers team where they could just not buy a bucket. And fortunately for them, Jokic also falls into foul trouble at towards the end of close to towards the end of that third quarter. Heading to the fourth, misses out on at least the first four minutes of the fourth quarter. And somehow the Clippers just couldn't capitalize on that. And in that third quarter, they lose that lead. And it sort of just seemed like a free fall from there. And even the Nuggets played a little cautiously. 
I think once they realized what 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 they were doing, that they were up eight, and they started playing a little more cautiously, but yet, you know, the Clippers just couldn't take advantage of it. They they couldn't they couldn't figure out how to continue attacking these Nuggets. They couldn't get to the free throw line. I don't. It it was just an odd odd sight. I mean, Kawhi Leonard finishing this game with zero free throws, six for twenty two. In this game, seven. Paul George forces four for 16, 10 points, four rebounds, two assists, five turnovers. Sure. I mean, if if things aren't falling for you, this is where you got to call on to your two best player and notably your finals MVP. This is a man who went 16 for 39 in game seven. Not a great shooting night, but at least you shot the <laughs> ball. Like 39 shot attempts is what you want from your star player, especially when everybody else is struggling frozen or you know caught up in the moment give the ball to a finals mvp like Kawhi leonard and let the man shoot and i don't know if doc rivers just wasn't running enough for him wasn't calling his number but it seemed like Kawhi leonard was just not getting the shot attempts that he he should have gotten and he was just not attacking and being aggressive and at the very least getting himself to the free throw line like for him to finish with 22 shot attempts i think is pathetic like I mean, go out swinging, shoot mm-hmm. that ball. 39 shot attempts is what I think you <laughs> should be finishing, especially the way this game was going for the Clippers in the second half. Yeah, and he needed every single one of those field goals against the Sixers last year. Remember that last one being that quadruple bouncer off the rim. Exactly. They just didn't have the fight. Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, for as bad as they shot during the game, I don't think they made a single point in the fourth quarter. Neither one of them. No. Neither one of them. Zero points. And I think Kawhi was one for 11 in the second half, which I think that one basket came in the third quarter. And zero free throws is inexcusable. How do you go the entire game? You're Kawhi Leonard. You are an offensive juggernaut. And you're a great free throw shooter. How are you not attacking the rim at all? It, there was just no mm-hmm. fight in this team. You, if you're the momentum's on your side, you got to get the refs on your side. You got to drive to the basket, make them make the call, and get some free throws to get yourself going. They just never got themselves yeah. going in this game. I don't think Paul George even had a free throw in this game. If he did, I think he missed the one that he had. <laughs> so there's no free throws between either of these two guys. How ridiculous is that for a game seven when with everything on the line? What are you saving your body for? Put yourself out there. Take a hit, man. This is just, it's just not excusable. There's no describing why you would play this way, except that you just didn't want to win. Like, they just didn't want to win. Exactly. And to my point in that third quarter, once, you know, once at a point, Jamal Murray makes two free throws and a three to get them up by 15 early in that fourth quarter. And this is and all without Clippers, Jokic playing, too. Yeah, this is all without Jokic. This is Jokic on the bench. And then the Clippers just go on to miss their first 10 field goal attempts of that quarter. Uh, and again, those Jamal Murray, that Jamal Murray three was huge. Free throw line, you know, it happens. I don't think, like, anybody was playing out of their mind crazy, at least not on the nugget. Like, they were playing great team basketball. Mm-hmm. But again, it wasn't Joe Kick shooting 70% from the field like he did against Utah. Like, this was. Like, you know, Murray was lighting it up, bu- though. <laughs> yeah, he was lighting it up. This was, but it wasn't like a nuclear 
uh, you know, nuclear performance from Jamal Murray here, I think. So, again, I think the ball should have gone to Kawhi, and Kawhi should have been attacking. Like, it's kind of insane. So, they did combine to score 24 points in this Game 7. <laughs> Paul George and Kawhi shoot 26% from the field, and they didn't score a single point in this fourth quarter. End up going 0 for 11 from the field uh, to close that to close that fourth quarter. And again, like you, you, you shoot bad. And, and I think that's understandable in a game seven. It can get physical guys, you know, are desperate, it, but get to the free throw line, put the Denver nuggets in, in, in trouble, force their wings to play defense. If you're Kawhi Leonard, you're big, you're a big guy. You got a mid range, you got the three and you can drive to the rim. We've seen this version of Kawhi <laughs> Leonard before it's, it's crazy how many times we've seen him in the playoffs when he was with the Spurs, when he was with Toronto, just to put his head down, attack, get in the post. Um, I mean, Paul George, you know, great three-point shooter. I get it. You know, he's a little more beat up. But Kawhi Leonard, I think I'm just still stunned at the zero free throw attempts. And again, team-wise, they're about equal in free throw attempts, around 16 for the for the Nuggets, around 17 for the Clippers. So it's not like the rest were blowing the whistle one you know, uh, heavily towards one team and yeah. not the other. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm a loss. I'm a loss for words. And <laughs> another, another stat, another stat line here, I guess for you, Sean, is the last three games, the Clippers 39 points in the second half, 30% from the field, 24.6% from three, from the three point line. So again, the exact same story, game five, game six, in game seven for the Clippers. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing is that it was the same exact game. You made no adjustments in between game five through game seven to give yourself a chance. Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell, I think are the biggest reasons why this Clippers team is so powerful and so intimidating. Usually is because we have this secondary threat outside of our superstars that works so well together, that's super efficient on offense, and plays with a lot of energy and a high basketball IQ under normal circumstances. In this series, they were nowhere to be found. They both averaged around 18 points a game during the regular season, but ever since entering the bubble, they're just they weren't the same players. I don't think that they were ever really there to start with. And the numbers really back that up. I mean, Lou Williams only averaging like 10 points a game, only 35% from the field, 14% from three. 14%? He's not even trying to shoot the ball. <laughs> Montrez Harrell, again, came into the bubble late. Probably wasn't very conditioned or really thinking about basketball very much, but only averaging 11 points a game, 51% from the field, which for a big man is pretty bad. He's getting all his baskets around five feet. A lot of his baskets are just dunks off a good pick and roll play between him and Lou Williams, which I did see very good glimpses of in the first half of game seven. Mm -hmm. Lou Williams and Kawhi Leonard were both getting Montrezl Harrell really good looks off a of pick and roll, and that was nowhere to be found in the second half. It, they never went to it. It just never worked out because Denver adapted. That's a word the Clippers need to get in their deck in their dictionary. <laughs> they adapted to what the Clippers were doing right and were able to shut it down. And the Clippers had no response to it. And that's not just on the offensive side. They had no defensive adjustment. Jokic 
was just getting everything he wanted. It's like, okay, you're not going to let me score. You're going to double team me. I'm going to take advantage of your terrible help defense and just pass it to the open guy. And I mean, luckily for him, they, they delivered on a lot of his passes. They, they made their shots, their open shots, which is what you're supposed to do as an NBA player is when you get the open shot, you take it and you make it. He was able to adapt his game really well to the double teams being like, I don't need to be the scorer. I'll be the facilitator this game. Or I don't need to be the scorer. I'll be the rebounder this game. He was able to do that. And the Clippers had no answer for it. Like you said, they were just throwing guys at him. There was no plan. They were just trying to throw things at the wall till something stuck and nothing stuck. And you go the first, what, four games without playing Reggie Jackson because you don't think that he's going to work out in this series. And then and you end up starting to play him in like game six for like seven minutes out of nowhere. It's like, did you prepare for this game at all? Or were you just like playing Madden the whole time? Like it's just I, that's I feel like they're just playing Madden the whole time. They're like, I need to get my mind off of basketball. It's like, well, if you can't handle trying to figure out how to beat this team after the game happens, then you're gonna lose. Because I guarantee yeah. that Denver, after these losses that they took to the Clippers, went to the coaching staff, went to the tape, watched the games, and learned from it. The Clippers just weren't mentally prepared to be in a grueling series against a team that actually cared about winning, that actually had the the personnel and the coaching staff to, to go with it. Yeah, that pick and roll with Montrez and Lou was butter. I mean, that got mm-hmm. them to average 18 points apiece in the regular season. You know, big punch in the third quarters, big punches in the second quarter. And then in this series against Denver, I mean, for Lou Williams, essentially almost cut in half. The efficiency's totally thrown out the window. In that game seven, he was missing wide open threes. The layups were just not sinking in. Uh, and then it's just, he just completely changed in the first half. You, you were right. The pick and roll was there in the first three games. The pick and roll was there. But credit to Denver, they adjusted and they attacked it. They they made life difficult for Montrezl Harrell to finish around the rim. They, they had bodies out there. Paul Millsap, Michael Porter Jr., Grant, and Joe Kick. And... The Clippers were just never able to adjust, you know, instead of going to Montrezl Harrell, maybe it's time to put some other names out there. I know you weren't <laughs> a fan of Marcus Morris, but no. he hit one shot a little bit. Jamichael Green, maybe. Uh, Zubak for a time was pretty, pretty well. But again, I think it did feel like he was just throwing the bodies out there as opposed to setting something up and adjusting prior to the game and in the game going, okay, this is what we're going to today since Joe Kick is hitting this, like adjusting on the fly. It just seemed like Doc Rivers kept trying to do the same thing. And when it wasn't working out, they panicked, <laughs> threw Reggie Jackson in there for six <laughs> minutes, air, you know, two bricks Ugh. and then just two quick fouls. And he pulled them out and threw Lou Williams back out there again. And at that point, Lou Williams in the fourth quarter, just again, missed a wide open layup, missed a wide open three and just never got aggressive again. But he kept running plays for him. And again, I felt like some of those should have gone to Kawhi Leonard. Jamichael Green shoots a shot at some point. Marcus Morris, again, shoots a shot at some point with under six minutes to go. Shots that I should have gone to Kawhi Leonard, I think. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's it, it, it was just crazy to see this. Just bodies being thrown out. Minutes being spread all over the place. Um, Joe Kick just... You know, finding himself in a place where 
you know what? I'm comfortable just making the right play every time. And credit to the Nuggets. You know, they made those shots again. Those back-to-back threes from Grant. That three from Paul Millsap. The Jamal Murray three. Gary Harris also hitting good shots that came out of that pick and roll with Joe Kick and that pass out of the elbow from Joe Kick. And I think it's I think this is a perfect point to transition, you know, what because mm-hmm. we gotta credit the Nuggets, you know. They oh, weren't sure. just on the floor watching the Clippers melt down <laughs> and you know they happened to just get the crown handed to them as the victors. No, they did things to come back from three one. They did things to come back and win game five and then win game six and even everybody was laughing at the thought that the Nuggets were going to even be in game seven, right? Like mm-hmm. everybody just thought, well, you know, the Clippers are just coasting right now. They're just coasting, but they're going to kill it in game seven. But they hung in there. Uh, they were down and Jamal Murray goes off in that second quarter, 20 points, the most points, the highest output from a single player in game seven history. This wow. is regardless of playoff round. So Jamal Murray puts them in a good spot to head into that third quarter. And again, we did that breakdown of, Jamal Murray, two free throws, Grant, the back-to-back threes, and they get that lead. They go up eight. And even at a point where it looked like things were about to get really hard and the Clippers are going to make a run, they buckered down. Even though Joe Kick was on the bench, they buckered down, not only maintained, you know, held the, the Clippers scoreless and made life difficult for them, but they amounted to their lead and really made great basketball decisions down the stretch. I mean, it's crazy to see how much this team has grown compared to the way they were playing against Utah and just made some dub-headed plays down the stretch. But this time, uh, they really held it together. So it's it, it was pretty awesome to see, I think. Yeah, this team has grown up very fast. The, much faster than I think anyone expected them to. I mean, what, Jamal Murray's like 24, Joe is just 25. But they're out here with some of the best players in the league, getting it done. And you talk about team chemistry, man. This team is mentally resilient. I like that phrase you used there. It's just they don't care what the series is at. They don't care what the odds are. They are just playing loose. They knew that the Clippers had all the pressure on them because they're the team that hasn't made a conference finals in their entire history. They know that they are the heavy favorites. So Denver just goes in like, look, no one expects us to win. Let's just play our brand of basketball and see what they can do about it. And they just, it seemed like they just went in with the best attitude possible for a professional team. And it was an all around team effort. I mean, you, you bring this down to Jokic and Murray obviously leading the charge, but the coaching staff was amazing. Wes Unseld is the assistant coach that kind of runs the defense. Uh, Mike Malone even admitted himself that he just kind of lets Wes Unseld do his thing and doesn't really tinker too much on defense. And he came up with a scheme that just, like we said, put the Clippers uh, like a deer in the headlights, and they just couldn't figure it out in that second half. And uh, Mike Mullins even said, "This guy deserves to be a head coach." And after watching this series, I will feel, I will feel cheated if we don't get to see this guy be a head coach. Because if you're able to come up with schemes like this to to overcome such enormous odds against you, and take a team that is definitely not as talented as the Clippers, and to just make them look silly. That is, that is a guy I want to see in a head coaching position for sure. So 
Now, he's on the Bulls' uh, short list, I guess, of, of candidates, but they have like 10 guys on that list. But <laughs> uh, I mean, I want to see this guy be a head coach. I don't want to see like Mike D'Antoni get the job. I don't give a crap about that guy's systems anymore. <laughs> like, yeah. He keeps getting jobs and he keeps losing. So it's like, just give it give it to a new guy. You know, like Wes Unsell deserves this way more than D'Antoni. But yeah. I think the the main thing for them was Nikola Jokic in this series. It was Jamal Murray in the Utah Jazz mm-hmm. series. This was Jokic's time to shine, man. And it took them four games to figure out, but they realized that they we really can't stop Nikola Jokic. And Zubak put up a good front against him in the first few games where it looked like he was able to handle him. But in reality, Jokic just had his number every single play. I mean, he's just a little smaller than him, so he's able to bully him in the post. He's a little slower than Jokic, which is crazy because Jokic is the pudgy guy, you would think. But he was just getting around him, spin moves, cuts to the rim, just out outperforming him um, with his offensive repertoire that he has. And Harold and Green were just way too small to guard him. You'd think that would work in a lot of different scenarios. I mean, we, we ran small ball a lot with Harrell at the center in the regular season, but with Jokic, it's just a completely different story because centers are not as talented as this guy. I mean, in the last three games, he put up 24 points, 17 rebounds, and eight assists a game, which is just absurd. Can, can we just take a moment to just think about how absurd a 24, 17, and 8 stat line is over that course of time? When a team should be able to adapt to, they were even they're putting so many guys on him in game seven. Kawhi was guarding him in game mm-hmm. seven. Yeah, that's not gonna work. I'm sorry, Kawhi. Like you're just not big enough. Yeah, <sighs> yeah. I mean, I think I think it's a little frustrating for me because you know over the I think I've I've really believed in this team over the last. I mean, I never thought they'd be this good. But I knew they were going to be good. I knew. I mean, I I think all of us realized how good Jokic was after what he put together last year, and then heading into this year, it was like, okay, he's going to get even better. Jamal Murray's going to be better. This team is going to be good. Like we, you know, all of us had him in the in the top Denver finishing, yeah. you know, within the top three seeds. And I even had them. I was going to. I said, I don't know if you remember. I said they're going to be the regular season champion. Like this yeah, team no, is going to win that. games <laughs> in the regular season. And I thought it was going to be because of Jokic, because this man is just, he's a tank. He's slow, but he's just in a super smart tank with like smart, <laughs> you know, super smart weapons and all that. Like this guy just makes the best basketball decisions he can. And he's such a team player. Uh, he, he doesn't, he doesn't, you know, he's not caught up in all the talks of MVP and points per game. You can just tell that by his demeanor. He just seems like such a simple man. Uh, so, but, you know, but it was disappointing to see then the Nuggets not become that. Like, they at times were playing around whether they'd be the fourth seed or yeah. third seed. They had a bunch of injuries. Joe kind of didn't look like himself through the first half of the year. And I believed in this team. And granted, I drafted four Nuggets in our NBA draft <laughs> for that same reason. Jokic, Murray, Gary Harris, and Grant. Yeah, I was a little ambitious. I ended up dropping two of those guys, but I hung my head on those two guys. They didn't reward me quite as much in the regular season, but in the playoffs, we are starting to see who they are. Like, Jokic, this is who he is, man. He should be a guy who's fighting to get into the door of the top five player in the league, I think. Like, I don't think it should. it's 
that crazy to think that a seven footer who can see above most people <laughs> makes a great a great basketball decision and can shoot the three, get into that elbow range and either take one dribble in, float it in, or throw a swing pass to the corner three, or or you know finish the pick and roll and get to the rim. Like that is extremely versatile and extremely valuable. And the Clippers just had no answer for it. I mean, the best answer for it is not one guy. It, it's great team defense and the Clippers were just never able to get on the same page to stop that and in guess game seven Jokic wasn't looking to the rim he was looking to pass and and again his his teammates knocked it down to get to get to this win mm-hmm. yeah and I think yeah the big thing was this Jokic's vision on seeing which guy was the right guy to pass it to when he got double team was immaculate like it didn't seem like he ever made a bad decision obviously he had a few turnovers yeah but mm-hmm. for the most part, every pass he made, the Clippers just were not prepared to guard the guy that he sent it to. And that was the thing through all those last three games is that when they would double team, they could not figure out how to guard the rest of the guys on the floor. You have to have in your mind like, okay, if I'm going to double this guy, this is who runs out to this guy. This is who runs over to that guy because there's a predictable pattern of like where the ball's going to go. It's usually going to go around the key to try to get an open three. But we never guarded that well at all. Like, they always had the open guy there, and Jokic was always able to find him. I mean, Gary Harris shot, what, 53% in this mm-hmm. in, the, in the last few games there? And I, I imagine if we had cared to look up the stats of the rest of the guys on the team, I'm sure the, the shooting percentage was incredibly high for this team through those last three games. And, I mean, yeah, not, yeah it's I not think- just Murray. It's not just Harris. Like, like you said, Millsap, uh, you got freaking Jeremiah Grant coming in making yeah. some shots like they Monty Morris Monty Morris even had some good ones too it was just all around amazing effort from the team yeah every guy that Mike Malone plugged in to get some minutes I mean I think everybody outside of like maybe Mason Plumley, who you know is usually in there to be an enforcer type guy but every guy that Mike Malone gave minutes to found themselves with an open shot and and eventually knocked one down and get, and walked away with a solid percentage I, this team is just the box score over the last three games is just amazing to see. And again, Jokic just making life difficult for the Clippers, forced that team to really adjust to Jokic and ultimately opening the door for Jamal Murray to take command in the last three games. Because if you remember the first four, it was all about coverage, mm-hmm. coverage for Murray, coverage from like Murray's life was extremely difficult. First four games, 17 points, 38% from the field, bunch of turnovers. Uh, the Clippers were shutting him down, and they did a good job. And Mike Malone adjusted and put the ball in the hands of Jokic and let him take control, and he did. The Clippers tried to adjust. Ultimately, <laughs> what it did is it gave Murray the confidence that he needed to to do what he did in Game 7 to put together that, that, four, that second quarter performance and then close in the fourth quarter with those with some some ridiculous threes, like the fadeaway from the top right corner was mm-hmm. in, in, beautiful, insane. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it went in, and that was a huge stab in the heart. But nonetheless, you know, last three games, Jamal Murray averaged twenty nine points, fifty one percent from the field versus the first four games where he was averaging seventeen and thirty eight. So everything started to open up for him, and Yoka kept kept being aggressive off the elbow and just making the Clippers try to guess what he was doing. What he was going to do with the ball. Was he passing it? Was he pulling up? Or was he going for a floater or, or taking it all the way to the rim? Yeah. Uh, I'm, 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 I can't talk about this series anymore, man. That, I, I do not want to talk about the Clippers for like 
a good month. I can't I can't do it anymore. That that took that took a lot out of me, you know. <laughs> no, just, no problem. Just watching your heart just get ripped out right in front of you, man. And I just watched Apocalypto, I, so I I kind of have a feeling of what that feels like. <laughs> I love the first few minutes of your monologue of you know, LeBron's in the parking lot. I mean, he's in the building. He's been <laughs> in the building for a couple of days one. now. <laughs> <laughs> he's been waiting. But, yes, the Clippers get to go home, uh, you know, reflect on what just happened to them <laughs> and this whole year, and the Nuggets get to move on. And I think one last thought, I think I, I absolutely love Jamal Murray's, you know, press conference. I think he's had some hell of great press conference quotes come mm-hmm. out of there. I can tell this guy really just loves the game and loves to win. And this is a guy, you know, who took a lot of flack from people for overshooting, for being arrogant and trying to be something that he's not, you know, a you know, a top scorer in the league, which, you know, his percentages were off in the beginning. But he never changed that attitude. And now the difference is the shots are going in and so are the wins piling up. So I think I really liked his quote where he, you know, called out Stephen A. Smith, uh, <laughs> Shannon Sharp. Who else did he call out? He called out some names. Everybody. <laughs> uh, everybody, you know, to start putting some respect on the Nuggets. And they're headed to the Western Conference Finals for the first time since 2009, which notably also uh, was the was the last time the Lakers also made the Western Conference Finals. So mm, it's, it's an encore 2009. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'll take that. And then I think my other favorite quote from Jamal Murray is they asked him, like, I can't remember the exact – it was a stupid question. They're like, what are you guys going to do about LeBron James and Anthony Davis? And he was he said something along the lines of, we're not afraid of the Lakers. The Lakers should be afraid of us. <laughs> oh, there it is. There is the attitude that I am talking about. Uh, you know, when he's young and missing shots, uh, <laughs> takes crap for it. But once you start putting those in, you know, it's it, it's a it's a it's a pretty noteworthy yeah. attitude, and well, I, mean, I think it's what got him there in the first place. Yeah, that's the thing is like the media p- builds it up as like, oh, the the Nuggets are just a roadblock in the Clippers' way, and now they're just a roadblock in the Lakers' way to a championship. But if I'm Jamal Murray, I'm like, I just beat the Clippers. Like, how am I still a roadblock? Like, yeah. how how are you wanting that series when I just proved that I'm the be- we're the better team? You know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I give him credit for that, man. Like that that is the type of mentality you have to have to uproot these clear title favorites. Yeah, and I mean, he he should pat himself on the back. He arguably, I mean, I kind of want to say after watching him in the fourth quarter. He he walked away as the best player in that game seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, he outplayed yeah. forty points, forty on a finals what, MVP, like fifteen and twenty two shooting. Oof. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Jamal Murray walks away in victory, but you know we we got some time still, so let's just talk Heat Celtics. The Heat are up one zero after an epic overtime win over the Celtics. I mean, what a game! The Celtics mm-hmm. were in command for most of this, but the Heat, with that dog attitude that they have found a way to get themselves back into this game, tie it up, and bam, making – I mean, it's got to be all-time playoff Oh, yeah. Blocks. That's up there with I mean, the LeBron j- chase down. Obviously not the yeah. same implications, but as far as a caliber block, man, that was unreal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think if you watch it as a single highlight, it's 
it's pretty close. But I mean, the context matters so much more for LeBron. So I'm definitely yeah. still heavily I'll swinging it to LeBron. The, uh, with the Kawhi middle finger block. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. But this was a monster block. And again, you know, I think both you and I agreed that Bam was going to be the X factor in this series. And he was. He showed up, made some baskets, and made some big defensive plays here on the Celtics. And I think they're a little bit shook right now. Uh, Jimmy Butler, again, was terrific clutch from the field. Uh, I mean, does this change anything in your mind, Sean, as in terms of who's the favorite? I'm pretty sure I said Celtics in seven. I think so, yeah. I went Celtics in six. Yeah, because I knew it would be really close. But, yeah, I did think that that the combination of of Kemba, Jason Tatum, and Jalen Brown, along with that supporting cast, was going to be just enough to overcome this Heat team. And I think that played out how we expected it to for for the most of that game. But we continue to underestimate the fight that this Miami team plays with. This team does not give up. And Jimmy Butler, I mean, talk about leadership, man. This guy is a born leader, and he was so clutch in this game. I mean, in those final seconds of that fourth quarter... He makes that huge three-pointer to put them up one. And unfortunately, Derek Jones had that uh, defensive foul before the ball got inbounded. So they got a free th- a technical free throw and it tied it. Otherwise, we'd be looking at the Miami Heat winning in the regulation period, which would have robbed us from the Bam Adebayo block. So I'm kind of glad yeah. that that happened. Um, but then, yeah, again, in overtime, he had a big bucket at the end of OT to seal that win too, right before that block by Bam. So he's just proven like this is what a superstar player does. He puts the team on his back when they need him. He was not necessarily getting huge stat lines like Jason Tatum in this set, in this game. 30 points, 14 rebounds, 5 assists, 2 steals, 3 blocks. That is monstrous. Jason Tatum played amazing. That's the superstar on the other hand. But Jimmy Butler, he doesn't do that. But when you need him to step up for you and be the guy in the limelight, he is so ready for it. It, it it's kind of uncanny at this point. He he has that clutch gene, and and Jimmy Butler. If if the game's on the line, gosh, you want him on your team so bad. Yeah, Captain Clutch, man. Somehow, <laughs> uh, I don't know. Kawhi should have maybe had a chat with him, had a coffee. I think a coffee so. It actually Jimmy came out. Butler. He did want Jimmy Butler, and Jimmy Butler did not want to team up with him. Wow. Paul George was not the first choice. Oh, interesting. Yeah, Jimmy Butler would have been a necessary tool for this Clipper team. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, credit to him and credit again to Goran Dragic also had a pretty big big game here. Uh, the Miami Heat's just continuing on what they had what they had already left on left off in the other series. I mean, Kemba Walker had a bad shooting night, so I think that kind of contributed as well to this to the Celtic loss. Um, I do expect him to be on moving forward. But again, I do expect this series to also just continue being a bloodbath, continue being close. But I think I'm still going. Bam out of bio, awesome block, but I'm still sticking with Celtics in six. Yeah, I, I still think Celtics in seven. I mean, especially after the Heat win game one, I think it's that much more likely. But what what does Boston need to do, one, to even this series, and then ultimately win outright? I think there's three things that, I, that I'm going to outline here that I think make a lot of sense for them, which, I mean, might seem obvious too. One, they need to get Kemba going early. Like you said earlier, he did not have a good shooting game in this game. Six of 19 
from the field. That is yikes. But this yeah. is not just a one-game thing. I mean, this has been a three-game slump now that he's been on. He was 2 of 11 in game six against um, the did they go? Yeah, the Raptors. Yeah, and then 5 of 16 in game seven against them, which they ended up winning. But it was no thanks to Kemba. And if they can get him going early to get his stroke going, that's going to be a big difference maker in this series. Because if you have him and Tatum and Brown all clicking on all cylinders they're not going to be able to be stopped. The second thing I think is that Daniel Tice needs to stay out of foul trouble. He fouled out of this game, but they were, he, he had the best plus minus on the team uh, for that game. He was plus 12 when he was on the court. And this is the only guy that's going to be able to size up at all against Bam. You're talking about Robert Williams or Ennis Cantor trying to size up against a young, talented modern NBA big man like Bam Adebayo, it's not even going to be a contest. He's going to gobble up all those rebounds. He's going to make all the defensive plays. Daniel Tice is the only big man on this team that can play with enough energy to keep up with them. And then the third thing I think is that Gordon Hayward needs to come back. Honestly, I, I mean, I don't know how much longer he's planning on sitting out, but if he can just come back in a bench role, and just be a little bit of a scoring spark for this team, they desperately need it because the only bench player doing anything for them is Brad Wanamaker. (laughs) And that is not a good signing. They have a lot of good defensive pieces off the bench, like Semi Ojale. I I consider Robert Williams a pretty good defensive player. They don't have any offensive spark, though. And so... Mm -hmm. If yeah, if Hayward doesn't come back, it's it is gonna be very hard for the Celtics team to win. I think he definitely moves the needle for them enough if he can get back on the court. Yeah, I definitely agree on that point. Again, like Miami are an offensive powerhouse and if Kemba Walker's having a shooting night, it's just gonna be they're gonna be cutting it so close just from where they're gonna get their points from. So to add another guy who can at least give you 11 to 15. Yeah. That might just be enough to get you a little bit more comfortable and survive, get a W even when Kemba, you know, is having a shooting slump or Tatum or Brown is having a shooting a shooting slump. And I think that's what they've been hanging their heads on all year and early on in the in the bubble. So that that would be huge in terms of like Thigh staying out of foul trouble. Man, that's the X factor right there again <laughs> against Bam because Bam is a lot for him to handle. If he can manage to stay out of foul trouble and defend him well, Boston can win, but probably quicker than six, but that's not going to happen. But he's going to try, but he's got to try. You're right. Yeah, for sure. I think for Miami, I think that the road is a little tougher because of this one thing. They shot 44% from three in this game. That is not very easy Mm -hmm. to repeat. And they needed every single one of those threes to win this game. So if they're gonna if they're gonna win this series, they're gonna have to keep making their shots and shooting well from three point. And Tyler Harrow, I think giving him the ball as often as possible has worked really well for this team in the playoffs. Like this guy's playing like a sophomore player now, which I mean you have that off season, but he's playing like a sophomore player. I mean near triple double in game one with. 40 minutes off the bench. He almost played the entire game except for like the little part of the first quarter that he missed because he didn't technically start in this game, but he basically played like the whole game after that. 12 points, 11 rebounds for for this little guy and, and nine assists. I mean, for a rookie to be doing this is, is very impressive, especially off the bench. And then just give Jimmy Butler the ball in clutch moments. Let him work yeah. his magic. Like 
Don't don't try to do anything cute with it. Just give it to Jimmy Butler. <laughs> yeah, I, it seems like Eric Spolster is all in on that strategy. Uh, Hero, again, doing amazing things. The shooting percentage, yeah, that's where Miami, part of their off, so much of their offense is live and die by the three. So that shooting percentage is off. Uh, they have no chance of winning against t- this tough Celtics team. So de- I think I I definitely agree with all those there, Sean. Good breakdown. Thanks. Uh, I'm surprised you're still taking the Celtics in six, though. That is yeah. that is not a lot of faith in this Heat team that really hasn't given you any reason to doubt them. I like I like the Celtics team. I really do. They're very gritty. They're smart, and they've been together for a while. And the scoring punch from those three guys, I think it's it's pretty well. And I mean, the, the Miami Heat have been on a roll, and and I can I can smell a bad shooting night coming. Mm. I can just feel it. <laughs> Jay Crowder won't shoot five from nine every night. I'll just say that. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But Jay Crowder, man, that dude has made some good plays. That guy I know. has been clutch for this Heat team. Yeah, him and Iguodala. I mean, both not really a factor for this team in the regular season. Have have looked really good. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. So let's let's go. Let's move on. Yeah, to close let's, it this off. This is the here. one you want to talk about. We finally get to talk about your <laughs> Lakers team, my dude. I think it's it it took us way too long to get here, but I'm glad we've moved on. We're 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 in a better place now. Talking about a team that actually matters. Game one, Western Conference Finals this Friday against Oof. the Denver Nuggets. What a turnaround time for the Nuggets. I got to imagine they're still living off the high right now. It would be so hard to start absorbing scouting information about the Lakers. I mean, I'm sure not a, not all of it is completely new to these players. They've got to know yeah. the tendencies I mean, of each other. The, the Clippers pounded them game one, too. So I imagine we won't be surprised to see a similar thing happen here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. However, the Lakers are also a team notorious for coming <laughs> out of the gates early. We might not just get a very awful game one. It's going to be like <laughs> 70 to 62. <laughs> yeah, both teams just shooting like, 35, no, 38. <laughs> yeah, that's very possible. But, I mean, in terms of, like, breaking down these teams and, and how, how how to preview, it's tough because, for one, the Lakers won the regular season 3-1. to one, But, again, this Nuggets team is so different from what the Lakers saw in the regular season, like, I mean, at one point, Jokic was, like, in danger of not making an all-star team. Like, <laughs> he was playing so awful. Yeah. Uh, there was no Gary Harris out there. Uh, Grant was playing awful. Like, Jamal Murray was doing okay. He was in and out of the lineup. And the Lakers won that pretty handedly. Anthony Davis really just t- punished uh, Jokic in their one-on-one matchup. So... I mean, you can take that as you want, but it does. It just doesn't seem like something to really feel confident about, I think. I think the Lakers got to really look at this Nuggets team completely new, and they match up a little bit uh, better, I think, than the Clippers did against the Nuggets in terms of like size is the name of the game for the Lakers. Uh, Dwight Howard, JaVale McGee, uh, Markeith Morris, and obviously Anthony Davis, you know, second place running mate for Defensive Player of the Year. That's what Joe Kick is going to go up against, and I feel really good about that. In the pick-and-roll situations, if Jamal Murray's going to switch on to Anthony Davis, Lakers didn't double when that happened against James Harden, and it worked out pretty damn well. Uh, and I could see the Lakers doing the same thing, double Jamal Murray. Uh, if, he's, if Anthony Davis switches on to him, let Anthony Davis take Jamal Murray one-on-one. 
and really force Jamal Murray to make some bad decisions against a lengthy dude, against a tall guy. Let's see what he does. And if it's Jokic versus Dwight Howard, I think, you know, Jokic is a great player. But I think Dwight Howard is also a, a pretty good defensive player. He's a shot blocker. I think Anthony Davis is also a pretty good defensive player. And I think the Lakers have really grown defensively in that series against Houston just for the fact that they've had to be so, so tight, so sharp on their rotations, which again, Sean, is what we alluded to that the Clippers just were not. When the ball mm-hmm. was swinging, the Clippers were just not fast enough, were not tight enough, were not communicative enough to really – uh, close out on those rotations and the Lakers just gave us such a such a cool case study that they are and they did it against one of the teams that forces you to do it the most which is the Houston Rockets uh, so I hate to to count out the Nuggets but I I like the Lakers the X factor is always going to be LeBron and the Nuggets have some players uh, you know and Morris and Grant Gary Harris maybe a little too small uh, they have some players they could throw on him, but unless they can get Will Barton back, <laughs> which might be the best matchup, I think LeBron is going to do his thing against this Nuggets team, and he's going to cut that. He's going to drop. He's going to cut that in, and again by games three and four, I think we'll be seeing the Lakers drop down some threes and just take control of this series. So, I see the Lakers in five here. Yeah. Do you see it happening the same way they've won the last two series? <laughs> I do. Gentlemen's gentlemen's sweep. (laughs) Yes, I could see them dropping game one or game two, uh, like pretty easily. Like it's just a game that's impossible to dissect because the Lakers just totally give it up. (laughs) It's collapse. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then I I think, and then I think the the Lakers take control. You know, they Frank Vogel has proven now the last two series that if there's one thing he can do is he can figure out a basketball Rubik's cube. And I mean, he's got a hell of a staff behind him too, and Jason Kidd. Lionel Hollins uh, mm-hmm. and some of those folks on his team. Yeah, for sure. I, I'm inclined to agree with you, especially on the prediction. I think the Lakers are going to win in five. Do I think that it's going to be Nuggets game one and then they win four in a row? I don't know. <laughs> but at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter how it happens. I just think, for one, the Nuggets aren't sneaking up on you anymore. You have the tape if you're the Lakers. You saw what they did to the Jazz. You saw what they did to the Clippers. I think if, when you're the Clippers, you're just surprised that they had the energy to do what they did. But if you're the Lakers now, you're like, okay, they took out the people that were supposed to give us the hardest time. Mm-hmm. But now they're here. Okay, we're not going to take these guys lightly like the Clippers might have. And as far as personnel goes, yeah, I think Anthony Davis is just going to make a world of difference, especially against Jokic. He'll likely have to be the primary defender against him in a lot of situations although i mean when he man when he played the five against the rockets it just worked so well yeah i would hate to see them go back to javel mcgee starting the game again i just think javel mcgee is just gonna get cooked by Jokic. like mm-hmm. the, the difference in basketball iq between those two guys is like from either end of the united states it's like night and day like Jokic is gonna make him look r- ridiculous in, in so many different situations that they're, I feel like the Lakers are going to have to adapt and go to Dwight Howard early or they're going to have to go to Anthony Davis at the five because Jokic is really the main problem when you're talking about right. the Nuggets because you saw the Clippers shut down Murray in those first four games and when you shut him down Jokic has to be that guy he needs the, the supporting cast 
But if you give Jokic the space to operate and work around, then he's gonna make those plays. So yeah. I think I think the Lakers have the script. They have they have the guys to handle that. And man, when you're talking about a team that's arguably just as talented as the Clippers, if not more so, if they get a three one lead, they are not losing it. Let's be completely real. They are not losing it. The the Nuggets better pack their bags after they get down 3-1 because LeBron is not losing a series going up 3-1. That that is not happening. Sure, it's happened when he went 2-1 on a team. That's so different, though. 3-1, LeBron will not lose a closeout game against you. That that is for sure. Especially the way he's been playing. He's too good, especially the way he's been playing in these playoffs. I mean... This team is on a mission. I know there's been a lot of distractions and it's a different environment, but man, LeBron is such a good leader. He's been able to navigate them through all of it and, and really get take care of business and get the job done. And I think I think the complimentary pieces have been a bit been a big part of that. I mean, you saw how well they all played in game five against the Rockets. I mean, Danny Green was shooting really well from three. KCP was even shooting really well from three. That's a that's some that's a sight for sore eyes. And you got Rondo coming off the bench and, and honestly playing way better than anyone expected at this point, having just come back off of injury, playing just super smart basketball, playing really good defense, honestly, which which is surprising. So if he continues to play at a high level, the Laker bigs take notes on what the Clippers did poorly against Jokic. I don't see this being much of a contest. And on the Denver side... If Jokic, I mean, I think they're going to still play with the same looseness that they played against the Clippers, so they're going to make things tough for the Lakers, um, and they're going to fight really hard. And I think that's the big thing, is that the, if the Lakers let up at all, like the Clippers did when we were up 15, 16 points, the Denver's going to make you pay for it, because they don't care what the score is. They don't care how much down they are in the series or in the game. They're going to play their brand of basketball, and they're going to take advantage of your mistakes. And I think just... Between Jokic and Murray, this team's playing with so much confidence right now that they're going to be dangerous no matter what. So you have to take care of business early against them. And then when they come out of that half, man, they, they have the best halftime speeches in the world probably. Because if you do not handle business with them in the third quarter, they're going to beat you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think if you're Denver against the Lakers, you look at it. Uh, and again, it starts, you're right. It starts with Jokic. The Lakers shut down Jokic, you know, then guys like Grant, guys like Paul Millsap, and some of the other role players like Gary Harris become a whole degree less dangerous. But if you allow Jokic to operate, get that space, he is essentially the key to really making all the role players' pieces work. Uh, they get those threes and they get those mid-rangers, they get those uh, those cuts to the basket, and that puts makes this Denver team dangerous. So it goes the other way, I think, also. Denver's got to figure out a way – to make life easy for Jokic, figure out some way through the pick and roll uh, to get Davis maybe off of Jokic, to get, uh, you know, get JaVel McGee or, or get some matchup that works well, keep Jokic moving and hunting for bad matchups because he could find one. He's definitely could find mm-hmm. one against this Laker team. There's very few guys that can match up well. So it will be interesting in terms of the Lakers, like how much we see of JaVel McGee, how much we see of Dwight Howard. You would think, I think, that they may be a good option to put into the game at times to just beat up Jokic a little bit. He, he's big, but he's Enforcers. not quite. Yeah, he's not quite the enforcer, if you will. <laughs> so I think that would be good. But if Jokic is just way too quick 
he could make those those big guys unplayable, and he could force Davis to play the hardest defense he's ha- he's had to play against a big guy in the playoffs so far. And that might just be enough to to impact his on the offensive end because, as we know, the Lakers, more so than the Clippers, more so than any other team, I think, rely so much on the scoring punch of LeBron and Anthony Davis. So, if Anthony Davis is not getting twenty eight points, there's a good chance he can beat the beat this Laker team. Yeah, well, I think Anthony Davis is going to have an easy time scoring because yeah. I mean, if if Jokic isn't guarding him, he can shoot over anyone on that team, <laughs> and if Jokic is guarding him. He's way faster than him. He can run straight straight past him if he feels like it. He's got the quickness and he's got the, the height. He's got the size to make mismatch hell for this Nuggets team. Like I think, honestly, the best person that can match up against him size-wise is Michael Porter Jr. And this is a rookie yeah. that has very little experience. And while he has a lot of promise, he's not ready right now. That's for, for that's for damn sure. So yeah, too many there's no def- one. Yeah, no one you can size up against Anthony Davis. Yeah, too many defensive mistakes from Michael Porter Jr. I think to really trust him on Anthony Davis or LeBron. They're too skilled. These guys are too skilled. Especially LeBron. He's been in the playoffs so many times. He's gonna go free throw hunting on you. Yeah. Uh, Do you think Paul Millsap has a chance against LeBron? That's a name that popped up in my head as well. Paul Millsap has experience against LeBron James in the playoffs, and he's yeah. lost every time. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> like, they're both they're both in their mid thirty. I mean, they're both. I mean, Paul Millsap has good size. He's not mm-hmm. as laterally quick as he used to be, but I feel like size wise, that's who is going to have to play against LeBron. Yeah, and I think if you're the Lakers, maybe that's your advantage there. You go big, so you force Mike Malone to throw Paul Millsap out there. Then you just go matchup hunting, matchup hunting with LeBron James and AD on Paul on Millsap. Yeah, I don't know. There, there's a lot of ways these chess pieces could move. A lot of big bodies, and I think both teams have good good pieces. And it and it and it, it is a it is a battle of the duos as well here. And again, I guess the Denver Nuggets have the X factor Jamal Murray in that. The Lakers you have a hard time guarding quick guards, but I mean we said that going into the Houston Rockets series, we said that going into the Blazers series, and as a team they figured out how to shut down the quick guards. So mm-hmm. I expect more of the same from the Lakers, but I don't know, maybe Jamal Murray can figure something him and Mike Malone can figure something out. We'll see. But yeah. I'm excited to see this Western conference and uh this I don't know. I'm pretty confident the Lakers can take this in five, so that's what I'm locking in. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I don't have a horse in the race anymore, but I, as an L.A. guy, I'm, I'm going to root for the Lakers uh, because if the Clippers don't win it, I want I still want L.A. to win the title, but I am going to really enjoy watching this series from a more like unbiased perspective because I, I do like Denver. I don't hold anything against Denver for beating us. I think they beat us fair and square. So I, I do love their brand of basketball. I, I do want to see how well they can do against this Lakers team. It's, it's going to be fun for me to watch, honestly. It's almost like a load's off my shoulders that I don't have to worry about the Clippers sucking anymore because they, they, they met their status quo for the year. So now I can watch some, just some good basketball. Yeah. Yeah, that is pretty good. Mm-hmm. All right, so final thoughts, you know, to close this playoff. We are now in the final four. Lakers-Denver. Miami, Boston, man, Not I got thought, one, one, except for the one out of the four that I <laughs> yeah. thought, one out of the four, I, I Not thought it was going to be Bucks, Toronto, I thought it was going to be Lakers, Clippers, and I thought yeah. there was no way 
there was going to be anything blocking that those those paths. And one out of the four is what I got. Sean is. I think that's where you're yeah. at too, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Not even. Yeah. Not even a, a, a 50-50, man. <laughs> Bubble basketball. That's why baby. we. That's why we play the game. That's that's why we we love the game. It's not predictable. Yeah. Exactly. Well, thanks everybody for tuning in. You know, we'll keep breaking down these conference finals and on the road to the NBA finals. Uh, no more talk of the Clippers moving forward, but you know what? They got themselves a hell of an offseason and they're they're coming back. They're coming back. They're coming back. Yeah. Thanks everybody. Have a good week.